And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And today we're starting a new season of the podcast focusing on mission in extreme places. And I'm really excited about the focus of this season. What does it look like to do missions and ministry in difficult and challenging contexts? We're talking about places that are hard to get to, hard to live in, but that are filled with people who are in desperate need of the gospel message and the good news that's offered through Jesus Christ. And so during this season, we're going to talk with people who are working in jungles, mountains, islands, rural contexts around the world here and in, in North America as well, people living in extreme cold and many other challenging contexts and environments. And my hope is that this season will help us understand some of the challenges that these missionaries face, how we can best pray for them, and how we might even be able to come alongside and help join them in some of the work that they're doing. We're going to kick off the season by talking with my friend, John. John works deep in the heart of the Amazon jungle. He has been a friend for many, many years, and I'm fascinated by the work that he does and where he lives and where he serves. I'm really excited to have this conversation with him. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Paul, thank you for having me. All right, man, let's start. Where are you? Can you give us just kind of an overview of your context, the people, the environment, the landscape, the culture? So people in our area like to joke, if you go to the end of the world and keep going, that's where we are. And so we're the extreme uh, Northwest Amazon, a place called a dog head of Brazil. If you look at a map, the extreme Northwest of Brazil, where it connects to Colombia, Venezuela, looks like a dog's head. Right there where the dog's mouth is, is kind of where we're located. We're the last city. It's a frontier city, which means there's a military base there to help protect the border between Colombia, Venezuela. So we're about 500 miles Northwest of Manaus, which is the capital of Amazon. Uh, Brazil. So people probably have heard about the Amazon jungle. Maybe they've read a, a book about it or seen a National Geographic video or something like that. But what are two or three things that people might not know about your context and your location? That's a good question. That's a question I get a lot because my go-to response to that, Paul, is so looking at a map, people like to joke about like, especially Texans, right? Texans are really arrogant about the size of their state and how great they are. And I know I've shared this with you before, Paul, but, uh, you know, the Amazon basin is almost three times the size of Texas. And so it's a big area. And then when you take that big area, that land mass of just Amazon jungle, as you're flying over, it looks like green Velcro underneath you or uh, some say broccoli, but it's just a big area. And underneath there, that canopy, there's about two, about 4 million people underneath that canopy. And so it's a big, big area with a small population of micro people groups, meaning that there's, and you've got the capital city uh, of Manaus that has about 2 million people in it. And then outside of that, there's just micro people groups. And so some of those villages have 60 people, some have 200 people. And so there's just micro people groups all throughout uh, the Amazon jungle to three times the size of Texas. So uh, that's an interesting fact because we're talking about lostness in the world over this massive area. Access to these people is difficult. And so that's just a, a fascinating fact for me because of the geographical complexities we have with reaching these people. 
Now, I know you were not born there in the jungle. You had to get there somehow. So I would love for you to share with our listeners just some of the backstory. How did you and your family get there? So I think this is God's design. But see, he doesn't like, I think about Mo, when God called Abraham in Genesis 12, you know, he called him to a place he would not know <laughs> to leave his father's house. I think that if we knew where we would be going, we wouldn't have gone. And so uh, the Lord was very gracious in that. When he called us to the field back in 2014, we knew we'd be going to, we wanted to work with indigenous peoples, didn't know what context that would look like. We met with some folks with the board and talked about uh, the losses in the Amazon that people don't have access to the gospel. And so we always hear about the 1040 window and we hear about those people, this, I mean, just in crazy sized numbers who don't have access to the gospel. And then we heard about these micro people groups who don't have access to the gospel. And so that kind of, that got our attention. So we just kind of began to put our focus there on these micro people groups in the, uh, in Brazil. And as we got to the field doing language school, the Amazon kind of came up in conversation about some tourism platform going on there. And just kind of, it really got our attention. It wasn't our attention. It was the Lord calling us there. And so, yeah, that's what it is. Me and my wife joke about it quite a bit that we, this is nothing we would ever chosen to, uh, to go serve in. And so uh, it was totally the Lord that got us there. I want to throw a bit of a curveball question to you that I actually didn't tell you I was going to ask you. I'm here in Kentucky. We have, you know, a lot of squirrels. We have lots of deer, you know, these kinds of things, animals, creatures. I know that your environment is a little bit different than that. Can you tell us just, you know, interestingly, what are some of the animals, some of the creatures, some of the things that are there in your environment that maybe we can't find in some of the places here in North America? So my house is like a mini zoo. We have a pet monkey. We have a pet caiman, which is a little crocodile. We have turtles, of course, y'all have turtles there, but, uh, yeah, so our house is a little bit different. Our monkey's name is Mika. She's a little uh, woolly monkey. And so uh, she's part of the family. <laughs> we have the, the little caiman. And so, yeah, so what's normal for y'all? Squirrels running around and birds flying in the air. We had the toucans, the macaws and monkeys and, and all those fun things. And so it's, uh, we got to the States. This is my son's. He's only seven years old. This is his uh, second or third time to the U.S. for a vacation. And he, we saw a squirrel and he kind of made a fool of himself. Like, what's that thing? And so, uh, you know, but people don't know he has a pet monkey and a pet uh, payment. So a little different. You know, John, you mentioned the, if you would have known what you know, you may not have ended up there, but that's kind of the Lord's providence and sovereignty sure. kind of leading you and your family there. I've been there with you. I know you love this place. So my next question is what about this place makes it so special to you? I think that that's a good question, Paul, because it's always evolving. So if you would ask me that five years ago, it would be a different answer. And now that we're there, uh, we've been there almost 10 years in this one location. It's definitely the people. The indigenous people are hard, difficult, very lost. But when you get into a relationship with them, they're good people. They're good friends. They're loyal. And so for now, this season we're in, I think the Lord has been, again, so gracious in this. It's just the people that we love about this place. There's a lot of difficulties there where we live in this little city, a lot of difficulties that call us, trying to call us away from there. However, it's the people that we have just grown to love that just, we have grown to love that city so much and that location, Northwest Amazon. I want to get into some of the challenges you just mentioned, you know, some of the difficulty of kind of trying to do work and ministry in that context. I want to get there. But before that, I would love for you to help me just define a term for our listeners, you've mentioned a couple of times this term indigenous. I would love for our listeners, maybe who are not as familiar with some of that language, if you could just briefly kind of define what you mean when you talk about these people being indigenous. 
Yeah. So I think like right now, the United States calls them first peoples, people who uh, originally from that location, indigenous to that location. And so, you know, there's a lot of history about the uh, Amazon indigenous, how they got there, how they've been uh, split up by the Catholic church and stuff like that. There's a lot of, a lot of history there, but we're talking about people who have, uh, like we go one particular community we're working in, it's pretty common, about 60, 65 people in this particular community, way up river. The kids that were born there is the same for their, their fathers, their grandfathers, great, great grandfathers. They have all lived there and were born out in the jungle. And so they've been there for generations and generations. And so those are those people, their land, and uh, they're indigenous to that area. So now that you've kind of talked through like kind of who the indigenous are, you've given us a little bit of a overview of the context and the environment. Now I would love for you to just to share what makes this context a challenging place to do ministry. And can you give us any examples? It's the people. <laughs> the same thing I love about it is uh, the most difficult is the people. The indigenous are so deep in animism. It's got a Catholic facade to it. And so it's just double lostness. And so what's happening is that they pretend to be Catholic because that's what the priest told them but they have no understanding of anything biblical. They have no biblical worldview, uh, no understanding of the, zero understanding of the gospel, but all that's just a facade for animism. And so these people are deep rooted in animistic uh, beliefs, which is in their context, which is everything has a spirit. So the trees, the fish, the river, everything is a spirit-based thing. And so they worship the spirits. There's a, a shaman, which is a witch doctor, and they worship that guy and the things that he does. And so as we're there trying to engage with the gospel, we're met with this facade of, Catholicism, but it's just really, it's just animism. And so from that, uh, Paul, uh, so alcoholism, sexual sin, other types of taboo topics for us is very normal for them. And so it's very normal for these kids to grow up seeing these, I mean, just blatant sins. And that's things we have to deal with. It makes it very difficult. And so we're doing like residential, non-residential ministry. So we have, we go to our people to do work with them, but they also come to us. And so our house is always a revolving door of our indigenous partners. It's pretty common for them to show up with a bloodied face where they've been in a fight, a drunken fight, a lot of alcoholism. And so that makes it really difficult. We're trying to engage in the gospel, but they don't see any of this sin. And so it's just a slow, slow road of bringing a biblical worldview into their context um, and trying to get them to see the losses they're in because they know they're miserable. They know that they are struggling and they're suffering, but they don't know how to get out of it. And so, and they just believe going deeper into animism or the Catholic church is the answer. And so um, it's a slow process. The Great Commission is a call to go. And a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu bgs. You kind of alluded to this a little bit. This next question is going to be kind of like, what does life look like for you and for your family? So I want to hear kind of what that looks like, maybe in the home, around the home. But also you mentioned kind of going to these people. Can you talk some right. about 
when you say going to them, what does that mm-hmm. look like practically? How long are we talking about? How do you get there? You know, all those kinds of things. So the people we are engaging right now, it's at one particular community. The Lord was very gracious to open up a door. We had an indigenous missions team. Some of my indigenous guys, this was back in 2020. We began praying about the Lord to open doors to new locations, about for us to take the gospel to where it's never been came up in in that little conversation that one of them had a distant relative in this particular village on a different river system. And so we made a trip to go there. We got up there. It's about, if you leave our city on a boat, it's give or take three to four days by boat to get up there. If you travel by the Wave Indigenous, which is the little dugout canoes with their Briggs and Stratton motors, it's about five to six days. It's a long way up river. You hit three different river systems to get to this little remote village. That's where we're engaging this people group of about 60 people. Can you talk at all about what that looks like for your family? Obviously, they're probably not going with you on every single trip, you know, per se. But how are they able to be involved and kind of what's going on and what does life look like for them as well? So most of the trips I'll take by myself. I try to go once a month with my Indigenous team. But there have been times where I take my family, our entire mission team, I'll take my family with us. We'll actually rent a, it's called a, it's like a small hammock boat. So it's all wooden boat where you can hang your hammock. And we just, it takes several days to get up there, but it has a little kitchenette and a little bathroom for the ladies to use. And so it's a fun trip that we all go up there and, and spend a week with our indigenous partners. So well, we're very gracious to have funding uh, through that, through like the BGR, uh, Sin Relief. And so we do some, um, we try to do some uh, uh, community projects with the community, and they're very gracious to allow us the access to get up there and, and rent these boats to make this possible for our family to go up as well. You mentioned, you know, working in a particular area. You mentioned working with some indigenous partners. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Lord is doing? How is he at work? What are some encouraging things that you're seeing? I think there's a lot of focus on the hardships and the negatives of missionary life, <laughs> you know, and uh, I was recently in a Q&A. I saw Dr. Paul Chitwood. He was asked about the Southern Baptist, the, uh, the decline of Southern Baptist. And he's like, everybody wants to focus on the two million that left the convention, but let's focus on the others that are still there and the good things that are happening amongst SBC people. And so I think that's a really good question, Paul, about what the Lord is doing. Yes, there are a lot of hardships, what's going on, but the Lord, despite the lostness and the hardships, the Lord is doing some really good things with our people. And so uh, we have one believer from that community a beautiful thing. Uh, his I got to baptize him last year, and he, uh, when I baptized him, he came out of the water, and uh, and he said, which is a first for Indigenous. I've never seen this before. He stood up and said, can I make an announcement? And this is just not Indigenous uh, culture. He said, I, I need to know that who's going to help me when I fall. He made an announcement. He said, I want to see your hands when I fall in sin. Who's going to be there to help me? Because in that culture, it's very common to laugh at them, to ridicule them, and to persecute them. And so the Lord's doing a good work amongst these people. We built a longhouse in the city for when this community comes down to the city, they have a place to stay, a place that's safe, it's clean, it's a controlled environment. We have unlimited access to them. And so from that, man, the Lord has been able to just plant seeds and hearts there. So when they're there, we don't allow drinking, we don't allow fighting, which is a challenge in itself. We have to kick people out quite a bit. But when they're there, we get to spend time with them. We're seeing the Lord do a really good work in these people. It's slow, but it has been so good to watch. Yeah, that's encouraging. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to transition to kind of some lightning round questions where we kind of have some quicker responses. First question is, what do you think it takes to be a missionary in an extreme place? First, John, the word abiding comes up a lot. And I think the word abiding is that in extreme locations, all you have is the Lord. That's all you got. 
And so I think every single day abiding in the Lord is what it takes because the struggles are real. There's a lot of outside forces calling your attention and calling you home because Satan has called these people his people forever, right? And so when you're there in darkness, uh, Satan is working hard to get you out of there. And so daily abiding in him is when I read your question, that's the first thing that came to mind was just abiding in him every single day because it's all you got. The craziest and most shocking thing you have seen or experienced? For me right now, this may not be the best answer, but I think it was that young man being baptized just because of, I know the context that he came out of and the persecution he will be meeting or has met. His dad is the witch doctor of the village. And so for him to come out of that, it's pretty extreme and pretty crazy to see him walking with the Lord now. I'll be honest with you, John. I don't hear a lot about people getting baptized in the Amazon jungle. So I I would agree with you. (laughs) Praise the Lord for, for the work that he's doing. What is one thing you wish you knew before you arrived? Man, I go back to Genesis 12, nothing. I think if I knew, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have gone. But I think going into this, if I were to tell people now is in Luke, when Jesus says, put your hands to the plow and don't look back. Those who look back are not fit for the kingdom, are not fit for the service of the kingdom. And I just kind of camp on that word fit for the fit for service. There is a tendency in these hard places to look back, to want to go back to where you've been, what's comfortable and the grass is greener. When he's called you to a hard place, he is sufficient. He will pull you through. You got to do your part. You got to put your hand on the plow and not look back. Sure, there are those times where God does call us different locations or call us back to the United States. But put your hand on the plow and don't look back. Keep pushing on and keep pressing into darkness. Because when you're beating on the gates of hell in these extreme places, not just the Amazon, but everywhere in the world, when you're on the gates of hell, you got to put your hand on the plow and, and don't look back. If some of our listeners wanted to learn more about your context, your environment, is there a particular resource that you might point them to? Is there a book, a website link, a movie? Where would you point them? One of my favorite books that I've read recently is The Trellis and the Vine. I really enjoyed that book uh, just on intentional discipleship. That has been a really good read for me on personal development, personal discipleship. And as you're engaging people in discipleship, the other books, I think just really practical. I'm a huge Livermore fan. So cultural intelligence or uh, serving with eyes wide open. I think there's just really good on engaging in extreme places, not extreme, but anywhere you're serving is just understanding the culture you're engaging. I think we have a tendency to go in with our, with our presuppositions and we want to go in and serve the way we want to be served. And, uh, but we have to contextualize and serve with cultural intelligence. So yeah, anything about Livermore, I'm, I'm a fan of. Anything that would be particular to like the Amazon or anything where people could learn more about that, you think? There's not a whole lot of information out there on Amazon people's own research for, uh, is concerned. So I've been looking for things like that. There's just not a lot out there. Just a couple of Portuguese things, but most people won't read Portuguese. So yeah, missionary involvement amongst the Amazon people is a new thing. And so the first missionary showed up there in the 50s, evangelical. And so there's not a whole lot of biblical worldview stuff about the Amazon indigenous. Yeah. So we're looking at 70, 80 years or so of work by evangelicals and so still relatively new in that sense. Absolutely. All right. Last question. How would you encourage people who are working in hard environments, people who are working in places like you're working in? What would you say to them to encourage them? I think I may have answered that prematurely with the Luke and don't put your hand on the plow and don't look back. The river that we're engaging, Paul, we're the first evangelical M's to ever be on this river. Now, this is 2023, and we're the first evangelicals to be on this river. That means there's no evangelical believers anywhere on this river. And so that's kind of mind-boggling. And so when you're engaging that kind of work, we're literally beating on the gates of hell. Like we are entering in the gates of hell there because the light has never been there. 
And so I think about our context and people that are around the world serving in extreme places where the gospel has not been. When you go into those locations, expect a fight. And that go back to the first John abiding in him every day, abiding in him, abiding in him. Because when you go to those locations, the fight's on. And so I always tell the Lord, maybe a little bit of Satan, like you can mess with me all you want, but don't mess with my family. You can take me out, but don't take my family out. And uh, I'm all game. I'm fair game. I'm not afraid of those things. And so, but being aware of that, abiding in him and knowing that I'm about to enter into the gates of hell with the light of the gospel. And I have to be ready for whatever Satan throws at us, whether that come through. We've had boats sink on this river. We've had boat motors fall off. As soon as we get on this river system, the boat motor fell off. As soon as we got in this river, the boat sank. We've had some pretty extreme persecution. We've had death threats from these things. And so we know we're going to a dark place. And so I think anybody who's listening or going into with the gospel, losses is a big deal. And so the world is getting bigger in lostness, and I feel like we're in the trench together in this foxhole, and we have to be ready. Abide in him. Uh, don't look back and, and keep pressing on. John, thank you so much for your time for the conversation today. Yeah, thank you, Paul. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.